Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Again, you got that whole balance. You're either fearful of them so you don't use them. And Paul says, no, they're good. Man, don't don't deny this. You you need to seek after these things. They're necessary for the edification of the church. And to the other side, he says, come on, guys. You're acting childish. You're acting with spiritual pride. You need to, again, get things in order, get rid of the chaos, allow the Spirit to work and move within your fellowship. We can't allow our fears or discomfort to limit what God can do in our midst. If you're not comfortable with a spiritual gift, such as speaking in tongues, use God's Word to guide you to an understanding. Scripture gives guidance to our worship and our relationship with God, and God desires order for worship so that people are not being distracted from the truth that will change their lives. Also, having order means that we submit to the teaching of Scripture rather than an individual's understanding. Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message entitled, Order in the Church. reminds them of the words of Isaiah the prophet. He says in verse 21, in the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips I will speak to this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me, says the Lord. And then he goes with this kind of interpretation of this thing in verse 22. He says, therefore tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophecy is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Now, Paul refers, when he quotes there from Isaiah, he's referring to a time in in Israel's life when they had been running away from the truth of what they knew God had told them to do. They were living in rebellion. They were uh, getting into idol worship, moving away from the worship of the one true God. And God now, he warns them that his judgment is going to come upon them, and it's going to be certain. He told them there in Isaiah and through other prophets that soon the Assyrians were going to come down and take them over. And in other words, the Assyrians would soon be upon them. They were going to be speaking foreign and unknown tongues as they occupied the streets and the villages and the towns of Israel. They're speaking Assyrian, not Hebrew. They're going to come in with these foreign tongues. Why was that happening? Because God was bringing judgment on Israel. Because of the Jews' unbelief, God was going to judge them with a people of unknown tongues. The unknown tongues came at a time of 
unbelief. And yet God also used the words of prophecy and the message of prophecy to continue to minister to those who continued to believe, who continued to obey the Lord. Now stick with me here. Even in the midst of this major unbelief and rebellion, there remained a remnant that believed and they received the truth of God through the words of prophecy. So again, therefore tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophecy is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. As we look at this, there seems to be easy enough to understand. However, when we add the next verse, that's where the conflict comes in. That's where it gets really complicated. Stick with me here. Look at verse 23. Paul then tells them, he says, Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he will be convinced by all and he is convicted by all. And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. Now, do you catch the conflict of what's going on here? In one verse, he's he's clearly saying that tongues are a sign for the unbeliever and prophecy is a sign for the believer. Now, in verses 23 and 24, he declares that an unbeliever is going to think you're nuts, you're out of your mind if he comes in and everybody's speaking in a tongue. And yet, if everybody prophesies, the unbeliever is going to be convicted, falling down on his face. He'll worship God and report that God is truly among you. So on one side, it looks like he's saying, well, uh, tongues are a sign for the unbeliever. And on the other one, he says, no, tongues are a sign. They're not a sign for the unbeliever. On the one, he says, prophecy is a sign for the believer. And on the other one, it seems like he's saying, no, prophecy is a sign for the unbeliever. He'll look at that. He'll be convicted by all. He'll fall down on his face and give God the glory. Some look at this and they say, well, there must be a copyist error. Not that the original was an error, but somewhere along the line there was a copyist error. And verse 22 should read, tongues are for a sign to those who believe, but not to unbelievers. But prophecy is for unbelievers, but not for those who believe. I don't know if you caught that, but it's a simple change of where you place our English word not. Makes a really simple explanation and you move on and you keep going. But the problem is that does a great injustice to God's word. You can't just move words around to make it fit your comfort zone. They're there for a reason. The only way that I can understand this, that I've come to a a good understanding and a peace is to back away a little bit and take within the context of all that's going on and all that Paul is saying in the midst of it. If we back away a few steps, look at the whole of what Paul is sharing here with the Corinthian church, I think we can get an overall understanding of a few things. Number one, uh, in the Old Testament times, God used foreign nations and thus foreign tongues, unknown tongues, to come in as a declaration of his judgment against his people. Foreign tongues, therefore, in the Old Testament, they were a negative sign 
of God's great displeasure. Tongues were a sign of God's judgment. The Jews were unbelieving at that time. They weren't following God. And so God used these foreign nations coming in against these Jews who were non-believers. Now, in the New Testament, though, a very interesting thing happened on the day of Pentecost. There in Acts chapter 2, following the filling of the Holy Spirit with those that were in the upper room, God uses now his people, believers, to speak in, guess what, foreign and unknown tongues to the foreigners that are in the land. There was a multitude of foreigners that were in the land that spoke with other tongues, those that God had used in the past as judgment. Now God is using his people, giving them foreign language now to minister his truth and his grace and his mercy to these that were there. They, they, it says there in Acts chapter 2, verse 12, man, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful things of God. Now that's just the opposite of what happened in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God used foreign tongues to convict and to come against non-believing Israel. Now, in the New Testament, on the day of Pentecost, he uses foreign tongues through the believers to, again, bring conviction on the foreigners that were in the land and to, again, draw them. And if you remember, Peter, at that point in time, raises up, speaks the word of God to them, declares to them, I believe, again, through the teaching of the word, whether it be the gift of prophecy or whatever it was that, that God was using at that time. And guess what? Over 2,000 came to Christ, foreigners that came to Christ. I think that's exciting. I think it's cool when you look at it that way. Now, the third point in all of this, now in the church age, the use of tongues is primarily for what? Personal edification. Paul tells us that multiple times not for the purpose of being used within the whole congregation unless there is an interpreter. He tells us up there in verse 16, otherwise if you bless the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the what? The uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks since he does not understand what you say. For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. So there is a reason and a purpose for tongues. Personal usage, if it's in the open with others, there needs to be an interpreter. Now, fourth and last here. Above all of this is the need for the words of prophecy, though. The tongues are there, but the need is for prophecy. This way, even the non-initiated, even the uninformed, even the unbeliever would be able to understand and as he understands the word spoken, just as Paul tells us here, he says the secrets of his heart are revealed, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. There's a place and a time for tongues. There's a place and a time for the prophecy. The prophecy is of utmost importance because that's truly what convicts men's hearts. Tongues definitely are a sign. God's used them in different ways at different times. So now, moving on to verse 26 and following on, we, we read the problems that are going on with the worship services there at Corinth. Can, can anybody say chaos? I mean, that's what was going on there in Corinth. Listen to what he says in verse 26. Well, how is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, 
each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. Well, it's apparent here that, that, that Paul is, is chastising this fellowship for their disorder. He's not praising them for being so spiritual. Wow, you guys really got it happening with the gifts, man. I hear every time you guys come together, man, there's, there's tongues speaking everywhere, and this guy's got a word over here, and this guy's got a word. Man, that's got to be an awesome church. That's not what Paul is saying. He's saying, guys, you're so out of order. Because everybody's got to have something to say, and that's what he's warning them. He, he, as, as a matter of fact, he's telling them they're childish in their understanding of the gifts. They're immature in their handling and the manipulation of the gifts when that is the scene at church. There's a couple of key phrases Paul uses here. He says, whenever you come together. That, in, in other words, every time you guys are together, every time you guys do a Bible study, man, you come together. It's a regular occurrence there at the first church at Corinth. It's, gonna be, it's not unusual. As a matter of fact, it happens so much that word came to Paul. Paul's not in Corinth at this point in time. No, word came to him. Word came to him just like word came to him that there were cliques within the fellowship. And that's why he's writing this letter. Man, you guys got this going on. You got that going on. Those things aren't good. Another key phrase he uses, not only whenever you come together, he says, each of you. And again, in the same way that these cliques had been formed, this continual attitude of spiritual one-upsmanship, each one of the believers in Corinth felt they needed to continually exercise their gifts. I'm coming to church, man. You know, uh, Bill over here, he's doing his gift. I want to do my gift. And Sam over here, he's doing his gift. Well, I want to do my gift. I want people to know I'm spiritual just like they are. And this is what was happening, this continual chaos that was going on within the church. One other thing, one other phrase he uses, let all things be done for what? Edification. It's very apparent that the exercise of the gifts there in Corinth were not for edification. They were there for personal attention. Hey, look at me. Waving my spiritual flag. There was this self-centeredness about that whole fellowship that seemed to permeate everything, including their worship services. One believer couldn't sit by while somebody else exercised their gift. No, he had to show his gift at the same time. That wasn't edifying. It was spiritual pride. And the Holy Spirit of God I don't believe it had anything to do with that. It was a happening church. But I don't think it was the Holy Spirit that was the happening thing. I think it was man's pride that was happening. I wish I could say that that were simply the case of one church some 2,000 years ago. But that's not the case. All too often, churches of all sizes, from small neighborhood-sized churches to, to mega churches, spiritual pride reigns. And the Holy Spirit is nowhere to be seen. I often wonder what, what the apostle would say if he were looking at the church today. You know, somehow the Lord just planted the apostle Paul and he went around visiting. What would he say if he came into our church? I mean, maybe for us, you know, he might say, hey, you know what? You guys need to desire spiritual gifts. You're kind of missing the boat there. But especially that you would prophesy. Oh, and by the way, yeah, pursue love. I feel all too often we're fearful of these things 
because we've seen the abuse and so we shy away from them. And yet, guys, we too, we, the body of believers here in Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande, I'll just shout it out here over the radio and the internet, whatever, Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande, we need to pursue love. We need to desire spiritual gifts, but especially that we might prophesy. I feel that all churches simply need to reread Paul's directive to the church there in Corinth. Both those who are fearful as well as those who are abusive in the gifts. And again, you got that whole balance. You're either fearful of them so you don't use them, and Paul says, no, they're good. Man, don't, don't deny this. You, you need to seek after these things. They're necessary for the edification of the church. And to the other side, he says, come on, guys. You're acting childish. You're acting with spiritual pride. You need to, again, get things in order, get rid of the chaos, and allow the spirit to work and move within your fellowship. Listen to the simplicity of his instructions to the church here in Corinth. Verse 27. It's as simple as this. He says, if anyone speaks in a tongue... Let there be two, or at the most, three. But each one in turn. But then make sure that there's one to interpret, and if there's no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church. Let him just speak to himself and to God. It sounds pretty simple. How big was the church in Corinth? Was it, is he speaking to small house churches where there might be 50 or 60? Was he speaking to the, the, the mass of them where there might be 1,000 or 2,000? We, we don't know, but he says, hey, tongues aren't the main deal. By golly, make sure that there's an interpreter there. And if there's not an interpreter, it's not a bad deal. Just tell the brother or the sister, hey, you know what? There's no interpreter available. So we're going to just move on. We're going to move on. Let that be between you and the Lord. Then he starts speaking about those with the gift of prophecy in verse 29. He said, let two or three prophets speak and then let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first one keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Do you understand what he's saying in verse 32? The spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. That doesn't mean that somebody that's gifted with the spirit of prophecy just suddenly stands up in the middle of something and says, whoa, the Lord has a message for me. And suddenly he interrupts the whole thing or she interrupts the whole thing. No. Says, no, that, that ought to be under control. That ought not be in chaos. It ought to be in order. Paul's not saying that our God is the author of, of cold and emotionless worship, but he is saying that God is a God of order and not chaos. And yet, even with prophecy, there needs to be a testing of the spoken word against the inspired written word. That's the, that's the benefit that we have today that Corinth didn't have. What they had to do in Corinth there is other leaders within the church as one stood up to give a word or give a word of prophecy or proclamation. Then the leadership of the church, man, they'd be praying during the time. and said, man, yeah, I, I, I testify that what that brother, what that sister said, man, that's, that's, I think that's right on. That's right on. Or they would stop and say, wait a minute, you know, That's not what we've been taught. That's not what the Spirit is confirming within my own heart. So again, they had to be tested. For you and I, we have the Word of God to test all things, to see, hey, is it in accordance with God's Word? Is it correct of what God is showing us and what God has shown us through His Word? 
And again, all too often, somebody's going to say, well, the Lord told me. And then they go on to spew some kind of biblical or heretical thing. Well, some people, because they desire an emotional high of hearing somebody say, uh, or, or for them to be able to say, thus saith the Lord, they, re- they disregard this testing of the message against the word of God. And the word of the prophet suddenly becomes more important than the teaching and the understanding of the written word of God. I've seen it happen. I've been in churches where that happened. Suddenly it's because this brother has a word and that brother has a word and this sister has a word and this sister. And suddenly that becomes the whole influence of things. And suddenly because that gives, again, the, the, the spiritual goosebumps to everybody, they, they suddenly are drawn to that rather than to the straight teaching and the preaching of the Word of God. Tom Stipe is the pastor at Calvary Chapel in Denver, Colorado. He's been there for years and years. He's one of the early guys that, uh, again, uh, went up there, and God blessed his work up there. The church grew phenomenally, and again, there was just a great, great work of God. Tom got caught up into the, the, the signs and wonders movement of the, uh, of the vineyard movement for a few years in, in his life and in the ministry. He kind of brought the church into that. And for a couple of years, they were there until he realized all the damage that it had done to him personally as well as to his fellowship. David Guzik, in his commentary on 1 uh, Corinthians, quotes Tom's forward to a, a book called Counterfeit Revival. Counterfeit Revival is the name of the book, and it's a great book. Tom wrote the forward there, and in that forward, listen to what Tom says about this whole idea of the movement of these signs and wonders, particularly as they get out of balance from God's Word. Tom writes, after only a couple of years, the prophets seem to be speaking to just about everyone on just about everything. Hundreds of members received the gift of prophecy and began plying their trade among both leaders and parishioners. People began carrying around little notebooks filled with predictions that had been delivered to them by the prophets and the seers. They they flocked to the prophecy conferences that had begun to spring up everywhere. The notebook crowd would rush forward in hopes of being selected to receive more prophecies and to add to their predictive diaries or their prophetic diaries. Not long after prophecy du jour, the prophecy of the day, became the primary source of direction, a trail of devastated believers began to line up outside our pastoral counseling offices. Young people were promised teen success and stardom through prophecy after left picking up, or they were left picking up the pieces of their shattered hopes because God had apparently gone back on his promise. Leaders were deluged by, deluged by angry church members who had received prophecies about the great ministries they would have, but they'd been frustrated by local church leaders who failed to recognize and to facilitate their new anointing. After a steady diet of the prophetic, some people were rapidly becoming biblically illiterate choosing a dial-a-prophet style of Christian living rather than studying God's Word. Open our hearts, change us from within by the 
That's all the time we have for today on The Open Word. We hope today's message has touched you. Pastor David Landry will continue teaching through the book of 1 Corinthians on the next edition of The Open Word. But right now, we'd like to share with you how you can hear more from Pastor David. Just visit TheOpenWord.com and click on Teachings to hear or download past messages. You can also get in contact with us with any questions you might have or let us know how we can be praying for you on your faith journey. You can also connect with us on Facebook. We are thankful you've listened to today's message but want to make sure that this isn't your only source of spiritual nurturing. We encourage you to find a church family who will help you grow in your walk with God. If you're in the Casa Grande area, we'd love to have you join us here at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. Here's Pastor David with more information. Hey, thanks, Chris. I'd like to personally invite you to join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande for a time of worship and fellowship and studying the Bible. We meet every Sunday at 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock in the morning and on Wednesday and Saturday evenings at 6.30 p.m. You can find our address and directions by visiting theopenword.com and following the links to our church page. I look forward to meeting you in person and sharing this journey of faith with you. Thanks, Pastor David. That's all the time we have for today. Be sure to tune in next time for another edition of The Open Word.